little that's bit. That's not the way the internet travels. We have to be on the correct positions. Yeah, no, it, it did go correctly because we're live now. I know you we don't realize live. that yet. We I know we are live here too. So yes. Oh I see. no shit! All right. Well, what's up, everybody? How are what's you? Up? Happy Thursday. I am yeah. Ron Placone. And I'm Tina Desiree Berg, um, reporting for Status Quo News. Today we have a really fun live stream because it's not just going to be Ron and I. We are welcoming Jordan back for um, joining us today for a little while. Zaina is going to be joining us for a little while. And we're basically going to discuss what's the better option here, third-party politics or Dem entering, fixing the Dem party, or maybe you're somebody that sees problems with both like I do. Um, and sometimes the benefits for one side are beneficial for both sides. So we're going to kind of hash out all of those things. So but thank first, you for joining smash us. the like button. Yeah, smash, smash it. it. Smash Show it. it who's boss. <laughs> we got Zaina is joining us today. There's this new guy. I think Jordan's his name. He's popping in. We're going to see what happens. This is going to be an exciting discussion. But first, you got to smash that like button. Show it who's boss. The like button's been talking shit all holiday season. <laughs> and it's time that you don't harm your machine, but really just like it. And if YouTube's like, I'm not sure if that was a like, I'm not going to. No, you like it again. And you ring the bell for the notification because otherwise YouTube's like, why you subscribe? But maybe you don't want to know anything. No, no, no. I subscribed and I want the information. Ring the bell. Um, there you go. Yeah, there it is. See? Yes. Yes. See the bell thing? Yes. You, you all, all, all of it. That's what you have to do. That is what they, they it's so ridiculous they're like, Oh, you subscribe to this. I'm sure you don't want to know when things go live. I'm sure you don't want to know that. Uh, no, no, I do. Otherwise I wouldn't have hit that subscribe button. That doesn't make any sense. So make sure you ring the bell for the all notifications, not some of them. Ring the bell like it's the like button. All right, let's start this. Uh, <laughs> let's start this discussion. All right, let's start this. So where Jordan, Zena, come in, join us. There he is, the new daddy. Hey, hey. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy to pop in today. Uh, I don't know if I'll make any sense uh, on no sleep, but I'll try. And uh, I've been an avid viewer of uh, Ron and Tina uh, holding it down the last few weeks and uh, excited that Zane is joining. And uh, yeah, I think I, I, I don't know, like, I don't think this would be like a fierce debate. I think we're going to discuss it because obviously there's uh, I think validity on all sides of this equation. Uh, my mentality is whatever will get us power the quickest. Uh, but as we've learned, just winning doesn't necessarily mean fighting. So uh, that also vetting, whether it's a third party candidate, a democratic candidate uh, or other things, uh, we need to vet to make sure uh, our candidates uh, third party or uh, Democrat candidates are actually going to agitate and fight. Uh, but I'm excited Zaina is here because you've kind of been on yeah. both sides of this, trying to uh, take over the Dem party as well as uh, you were with MPP for a bit. So uh, before we start, maybe uh, give your life story and biography. Oh boy, my whole life story. Okay. Well, I started out as a waitress. No, I'm just <laughs> I really did. I was in the restaurant industry for 14 years, but that's a whole other story. Um, so I, um, 
went to work after college. I, I graduated with, with degrees in public relations and journalism, did on the beat, on the ground journalism for several years, loved it, um, covered organizing action, some of the kinds of things that status quo covers now, um, loved that work. But I volunteered at brand new Congress, actually, and that's what sort of kicked me off. And brand new Congress's whole goal was to run independents, run, um, run, you know, um, non-corporate Democrats, and to have the communities recruit and nominate the candidates. So the candidates couldn't even nominate themselves. They had to be nominated by other communities, which has changed now uh, for the organization. But um I, at the time, they were working with Justice Democrats. They were combined packs. So I helped with communications for Justice Democrats and brand new Congress. So even though I um, worked with Democratic Party candidates, I was never really on the Reform the Dem Party bandwagon, but I got to see it all from the back end, if that makes any sense. Um, and, and sort of the philosophies behind it. I also had a chance to see running non-corporate candidates, people like Paula Jean Swearingen, Anthony Clark, Amy Valella, just what is thrown at these candidates by the Democratic Party, especially the establishment. If somebody is a non-corporate candidate in a primary, they are going to do everything they possibly can to crush those races. Um, I've also seen where people like AOC, who I used to um, coach, and I was a communications coach for her, I worked with Cori Bush for five years, get elected. Um, I was always a little iffy about Alex, I'm not going to lie, AOC, she didn't come off as genuine to me as some of the other candidates. Um, but Cori Bush, I thought for sure is going to like be the real deal when she gets up there. But I've seen how the pressures of being on Capitol Hill and the lack of accountability from organizations like Justice Democrats, Brand New Congress and others, they run the people. But when they get up there, they won't call them out. I mean, it's no different right. the Democratic Party backing Joe Manchin and then whining when he does something. And so that's another example. I worked for Paula Jean Swearingen for both campaigns. I saw the Democratic Party back her over Joe Manchin and then in 2018 and then whine when Joe Manchin votes the way he does. Well, you guys knew that. You had an opportunity to unseat him. Yeah. Someone running against him that was extremely popular, but instead of backing her, this party did everything to crush her race. And so those are the kind of perspectives that I come from. Then I was executive director at the People's Party um, thinking, well, you know, I've already always supported independence, always wanted to throw a wrench in this machine uh, because people say it's broken or electoral yeah. are broken. They're not broken for the oligarchs. They're not broken right. for the people at the top. They're designed to be exactly what they are in order for them to maintain their hegemony, their power, to give corporate bailout to corporate welfare while they sell us on incrementalism and breadcrumbs as if we should be happy for, for these small wins while our lives don't change. Um, and that's really the gist of it. That's what I've come away with learning. And the biggest word for me on everything from action and organizing, because I've done that for 20 years, to the electoral work is accountability. Who holds these people accountable? If there is no accountability for a third party, if there is no accountability, for these orgs that are running these non-traditional candidates. If there's no accountability once people get into power, then there is there is no way for us to make change because right. 
ultimately it comes down to the money, the status, the power, the influence at the end of the day. That's Absolutely. it. You have a life story, Jordan. <laughs> Thanks for asking, guys. <laughs> you you make a very cohesive point though about power, right? This is power that is willing to crush not only third-party candidates, but also progressive candidates that are non-corporate. So that is just the problem here is power is what I'm hearing, regardless of what side of the, the debate you're on or what side of the conversation you're on. The problem's power. It's power wanting to crush, power wanting to stay in power and doing whatever is necessary to achieve that goal. Well, um, a few things before we get to our opening statements for this uh, seven oh, hours. No. Uh, I, bur I bury the lead since people were asking. <laughs> Let's let's put people in a good mood. Uh, let's show my wonderful daughter, Lily. Oh, yes. Uh, so there's uh, my daughter, uh, Lily, seven weeks old, uh, I believe, hanging out, watching the live stream with me. She's a cutie. Um, I think we should point out that Lily always votes green. Yes. <laughs> Lily uh, has expressed to me she votes green. Uh, no Democratic Party for her. Uh, there's our menorah. That's that's the extent of my religious uh, observation. And um, oh, she's so cute. There's uh, her uh, little strawberry uh, bandana there, or whatever that is. Uh, yeah, it's been quite quite the adventure so far. <laughs> she's beautiful. Was born a little light. Uh, was born at five pounds four ounces, so she was tiny. Uh, so we've been trying to uh, just put put the weight on. Uh, she's about seven pounds, 10 ounces now. Uh, and it's now in the stage of wanting to eat a shit ton constantly, particularly overnight. Uh, so as you <laughs> parents know uh, in the audience and Zena, uh, it's not a lot of sleep, but it's been really great. Uh, it definitely gives you a new perspective on things being a parent. And uh, I'll be back. I'm, I'm only popping in today. I'll be back, uh, you know, more regularly, probably middle of next month. I wish I could say that I've been exclusively uh, with uh, mom and daughter, but I've also been working on a book. So it hasn't been as uh, relaxing, I would say, as a break as I would have wanted. Uh, obviously, I've, my main focus has been uh, helping out uh, with my daughter. My wife is uh, doing an amazing job with all the things that a new mother has to do way more. Uh, than a father has to do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping to be back kind of middle of the month. Uh, so yeah, that that's what's going on with me. I have been observing from afar. Um, and <laughs> I'm also working on another investigative story on top of the book. So I've been busy, but I just wanted to uh, throw that out there. And thanks everybody for the well wishes. Uh, and as Ron said, please smash that like button. Because if you haven't noticed, uh, YouTube, it seems like they like to crank the machine every so often, a little, a little more severe on us. Uh, the numbers haven't been swell. So uh, definitely, if you can, smash the like button. And uh, super chats are always welcome. Uh, the world is your oyster, Ron. Where would you like to start in terms yeah. of uh, our opinions here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess I can start with like my take on it all. And first of all, I will mention I was actually born uh, a, a little small, too. I was uh, I was four pounds. Wow. And uh, they told and your me and your hair was about two of them. My hair, yeah, totally. My my hair was like half the height. I came out like this, and it, I actually did come out with a full head of hair. That is the truth. But uh, but I uh, I they told my mom. The doctor told my mom to like feed me milkshakes, and I have been wanting to get that order from a doctor again ever since. 
<laughs> and I never have. I, I I didn't realize how good I had it. Every still to this day, like like when I go see the doctor, I'm like, should I be having more milkshakes? They're like, no, you should be having less of them, you idiot. And I'm like, God damn it. Didn't know how good I had it. But um, for this debate uh, or discussion, you know, again, I, I think one thing where we're all in agreement here is, is that electoralism in general is just one tool in the toolkit of change. Um, overall, I would say it is often an overamplified tool. I think that more important tools are strikes and protests and, and unified labor and things like that. However, that doesn't mean that it's not still a tool. I consider it a very annoying, but sadly necessary tool. I, like it's still good to, uh, obviously we still need to, um, try to elect better lawmakers, especially when we're fighting for policy and things like that. Um, the reason I lean a lot more towards third party is because, I mean, first of all, peaks under the hood I've had with the Democratic Party. I, I mean, people people make it out like the Democratic Party is this like entity that's just waiting for change. And no. when I, it's not. I mean, and when I say no. Democratic Party, I don't mean regular people who just vote Democrat because they're just given these duopoly of choices. I mean, like the people actually running the Democratic Party, the DNC operatives and stuff like that. For the most part, those people are right wingers who just aren't as crazy as the Republicans, but they have health insurance stock. That's the party they want. That's what the Democratic Party is to them. And they got the reins and they got the power for either thing to be successful, either a viable third party or overtaking the Democratic Party. The rules need to change. Money needs to get out of politics. Something like ranked choice voting needs to become the lay of the land. Those rules need to happen for either of these things to be successful. So if we are successful in changing those rules, I don't see the point in lefties entering the Democratic Party that is just not a left wing party. When you look at other countries, you know, usually there's about two parties that, that are like the main big parties on campus. And that's fairly typical. But the reason that like the Tories, well, they're an extreme party, they're not near as extreme as the Democrats, I would even argue the Tories, or excuse me, the Republicans, I would even argue that the Tories are to the left of the Democrats in a lot of cases. The reason other parties aren't as extreme is because they need to come to the communist and the socialist and the Greens to get any policy done. So imagine a situation where like, hey, maybe there were three or four seats occupied by by the Green Party in Congress. The Republicans and Democrats would need to come to the Greens to get anything passed. And as a result, the Democrats would actually be a centrist party and not some right wing party like they are now. And the Republicans would need to be slightly less psychotic than they are now because they would need the Greens to get any types of policy. You know, we we abide by this imaginary uh, tethering that like, well, it's always been intended to be a two party system. That's only because of money. And that's only I mean, really, if you want to try to trace it back to the, the founding fathers, they actually were calling for a system with no parties, not a system with two parties. So really, it's just money that's tethering us to all that. So if we started breaking and changing those rules, we could have more proportional representation as far as different parties, the way other countries do. And I think that's the way to go. You know, like when Democrats say like, we're a big wide tent, that's the opposite of what a political party is supposed to be. 
A wide tent's supposed to be your neighborhood. In your neighborhood, you're going to have capitalists, socialists, and everything, and everyone tries to get along and, and do what's best for the neighborhood. That's one thing. But in a political party, you're supposed to have an agenda, a set of policies that you think is going to make the country you live in better, and you debate those ideas. So if you have this wide tent where you don't agree on any policies— what the hell kind of political party is that? The only reason that exists in this country is because we only have two parties. So right. and that, that's why I really don't get side note here. I really don't get Andrew Yang's idea of like, hey, we're going to have a third party that accepts corporate money and has no policy ideas. We already have it, that, Andrew. They're called the Democrats. We have that already. It ain't going so great. So uh, that's why I'm uh, I'm more third party in this discussion. Gotcha. Um, I'll, I'll also say before, I think there's several points that are really important for any one of these options, whether it's them take over third party, uh, or screw them both. I'm, I lean more towards the screw them both. I could get to that, but there's three things. And I'm pretty sure Zaina, you have experience with all of them. Number one, whether it's the Dem party working within the Dem party or, or doing a third party, uh, there's a huge issue in America, and that is who votes and who doesn't. Uh, I've been going around for seven years, presidential elections, local elections, Congress, mayors, doesn't matter. The most reliable voters in this country, unfortunately, are baby boomers and people 65 yeah. and up. Uh, and we have quite a few of you in our audience, so it's not a universal thing that you're all neoliberals. But by the data, uh, most baby boomers are tend to vote for more establishment, more neoliberal yeah. candidates because they've been fed bullshit and brainwashing for 30 years through media, New York Times, that, you know, this is just politics and, you know, the things Bernie pushed for are, are not possible or too extreme or, oh, those kids and, you know, right. they, want, they want all that. So if you're, whether you're third party or you're running in the Democratic Party, yet the, you have to figure out how to get some of those normie people over to you. It yeah. doesn't matter which option. I said when Bernie was running in 2020, he doesn't have a chance unless he could pull 10% of the 65 and over uh, from 2016. Uh, not to get in the weeds, but there was one point during Bernie 2020 when he was actually pulling senior citizens from Joe Biden over to him. It was when his campaign was laser focused on the fact that Biden, when he was a senator, was trying to privatize Social Security. Right. Uh, the polling actually shrunk, and Bernie started pulling older people, and that was the first time ever. And that's when, like, you know, Chris Matthews was having his fucking uh, breakdown that the not this is like the Nazis invading Paris. So whether you do a third party or whether you do um, them take over, unless you have a magic elixir that's going to get every person under thirty-five to vote in America, which right. I don't think anyone has. You have to figure out how to get to some of these normie people. Second thing is, and Zaina, you know this, you have to have a media strategy because the media is going to go after you in multiple ways or they're just going to ignore you uh, on the third party end. We're going to ignore you like they ignored um, the challenger in the Tom Swazi race, Melanie Durago. And who beat Tom Swazi? That dude that lied about everything, including being Jewish, that the New York Times just reported on now. They didn't right. report on the race while Melanie was running. They never covered Melanie. And now they're talking about this guy. A little too late. Yeah. I so basically, I so basically, it's great. 
basically people just, you know, reflexively based on their, you know, understandable, like I'm done with the Democratic Party, just say like third party or some people say take over the party. But until we answer these questions, how are you going to get some normie people on how are you going to figure out a media strategy? Um, I, I don't I don't think either are very likely to be successful. And then the third thing is winning isn't enough. We've already seen in the last three years uh, we got some progressives elected and they're they're not doing much. So yeah. we need a better way of I mean, you you never know. Everyone's a human being. We can't know when rallying around, whether it's a third party candidate or a Dem candidate, uh, whether they're going to get in there and, you know, fold like a cheap tent. But th those are the three things. And particularly uh, you saw in the midterms, young people actually made the difference for the Democrats to win. Uh, keep the Senate. Uh, they came out, I think, based on the polls, based on Roe v. Wade primarily. But that's not the norm that they come out in, in even comparable numbers to older people. Uh, so I think for a third party, you know, we get I get grief like I'm anti third party. If you look at this channel, we probably interviewed more third party candidates than any other channel this cycle. We have a whole playlist. I'm not anti, I'm not anti third party. My um, my I guess. My, my main um, focus or my main pushback has been, and I, and I asked this before the whole MPP thing, but I asked this, what is your answer on ballot access? Because if you think the Dems are screwing progressives running yeah. within the Democratic Party, what do you think look they're what doing they're to doing to party. Green exactly. Party candidates. Look what they did to Matthew, uh, I always mispronounce it, I think. Matthew Ho. Ho. Matthew Ho uh, in uh, North Carolina. Uh, the dirty tricks and illegal tricks to get him off. So until there's a, a real strategy, and I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on this, Zena, because you had to deal with this with MPP, getting ballot access with, in many cases, Democratic governors control uh, ballot access, a media strategy, building a fundraising apparatus. Yes, no corporate money. That's important. But you, you do need money to compete. Uh, I'm not anti-third party, but you actually have to have that really planned out, well thought out. You need like good lawyers on your team because they're going to throw everything at you. So that was my main thing with third parties. Not that I'm against a third party. I don't think like we're not going to like, you know, take over this corrupt system right. within the Democratic Party anytime soon. I would prefer it to be a third party. But those are serious questions that I haven't seen answered. The closest thing has been the Green Party. Uh, Jill Stein, I think, was on like 47 state ballots. Yeah. Uh, but of course, there was the media blackout or when they covered her, uh, you know, obviously didn't cover her fairly. So those are uh, my thoughts on the third party on the Dem takeover. I don't think a Dem takeover uh, is the wisest strategy, but I will say because people have a short kind of selective amnesia. I think that people forget that within the last two years, like. The progressive movement was kind of, if it's a football game, like on the five yard line of winning the nomination within yeah. the corrupt Democratic Party. If Bernie didn't make, I think, some key mistakes and he made many, he had a, shot, a serious shot at winning the nomination. So I yeah. don't like what the Democratic Party stands for. I don't I think it at this point seems like a fool's errand to keep running within the Democratic Party. But in terms of which had a better shot over the last 20, 30 years, I mean, objectively, he after Nevada, everyone thought he was within two weeks of, of basically clinching it. I think he made crucial mistakes that that screwed him from winning. 
So to me, my I think, and I, I've talked about this over and over, you get more clicks online by choosing one or the other and not being nuanced. I don't think it's particularly mutually exclusive. I think people could try to build a third party while others could try to do their work within the Democratic Party. But I think where the progressive movement's energy needs to go to is not focusing on, not abandoning either, but focus on outside electoral politics strategy, because that to me is the quickest way to win concessions. Uh, and we have had some victories over the last year or two that haven't gotten enough attention. If you would have asked me, Ron, like two years ago, if I thought any Amazon in America would be unionized, I would ask you what you're smoking, yeah. knowing what I know about Amazon. Uh, and the answer is good shit. But regardless, we see what <laughs> right. happens. Um, Starbucks workers, Trader Joe's workers, the tenants unions that are forming. Um, you have uh, protests that are happening, environmental protests that are happening. To me, there is action happening on the ground. What's missing from it is the economic component. I mean, yeah. I went down to Occupy Wall Street a decade ago. Uh, that's when I first started, like, really focusing on politics. It was a really a leader, a leaderless uh, movement, but they were out there for a while and it gathered a lot of steam. What was missing was an economic component. There were no economic boycotts attached to it. There was no general strike attached to it. I mean, it was early days. Social media wasn't what it is now. That was 2011. I think I'm not going to lie to people and say, hey, we could have a general strike tomorrow. But I think really you, we could do direct action. I've been covering protests for 10 years. People are protesting around the same streets, chanting the same shit over and over. I'm not criticizing them. That's just what it is. And then they go home. The oligarchy is fine with that. If you get a little too rowdy, they'll use their, they'll use their security forces, the cops, to uh, batter your head in. But if there's an economic component, if those millions of people that were out on the streets for George Floyd, if, I don't know, 5 10% of them, did more than one day boycotts of big box, big box retail, Amazon, big banking. That's when you get concessions. That's when you get more than crumbs because the donors run the system. That's why I have the flag. So I'll say more later. I don't want to go on a long ranted monologue. But to me, yes, try to build a third party, but don't lie to people that it's easy. Don't lie to people that it could even be successful in the next five to 10 years level with people what it would take to build a third party. Uh, I also don't think, you know, we had the R revolution guy on uh, last <laughs> week. I think he's a nice guy. I think it's a fool's errand what they're doing. Uh, I think that they are, you know, taking small little nothing burger victories and trying to make it seem like it's their major victories. We don't, we all don't have the next 10 to 20 years to take over the democratic party. So, if certain people want to work within the Democratic Party, fine. But to me, yeah, build a third party if that's what you want. Uh, work within Democratic Party if, if that's what you want. But wherever you stand, everybody needs to get um, get involved, even if it's not your workplace, with these protest movements. And you know what? There was something called meetup.com where I, when I lived in the city, I went to meetups. We need that on the progressive movement for people in their communities to get together and start creating local organizing hubs, which Zaina, you know a lot about, because you're not going to have a general strike tomorrow, but you could start locally. That's where I think people need to focus. That's why I kind of put in the headline, screw both. Can I uh, talk? I think, yeah, I think it's, it's <laughs> Tina's turn. Well, I didn't want to interrupt anybody that was going to. Uh, so 
I, I understand what you're getting at, Ron, and I don't disagree. I would like to see the United States become more like a parliamentary system where you had competitive parties competing for votes and then having to build coalitions because that's really how you get the voice of the people. The problem, the problems I'm going to bring up are the structural ones that sort of Jordan has touched upon because I don't know that people realize how deep and problematic they are. And they exist in both worlds, right? There's there are systemic problems with the Dementor side and there are systemic problems with trying to build a third party system. And it's because of that thing that Jordan initially mentioned, the power, right? These The people in power don't want to give up that power, so they're going to use whatever they can to smash it on both sides, right? So, I mean, first of all, the uh, state ballot access, you mentioned that this is a huge problem. And the Green Party has been struggling this, struggling with this for, for decades, for a very long time, for as long as they've existed, probably. Um, to give you an idea, to get on the state ballot in Montana, you need 5% of all voters to sign a petition. 5% of all voters is a lot. So it's very hard to get ballot access in that state. Some states are easier than others, but each one has its own set of hurdles, right? You have an electoral system that's winner takes all. That in and of itself like kills a third party pre presidential candidate. Do I think rank choice voting will eliminate that problem? I do. And I also think it would help with the Dementor side. I think rank choice voting, if we push for something like that, helps out the entire um, problem across the board. Like it's just a beneficial thing we should do is push for rank choice voting. Um, I think the other problem is federal campaign finance laws, right? So you get matched funds. Um, the Democrats, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party don't need to apply for matched funds. They're going to get them regardless. But if you're a third, pay, third place candidate, third party candidate, you need to get 5% of the vote in the previous election, not the one you're in now, right? So the only time I think, um, and Zaina, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, the only time I think that's ever happened was Ross Perot. And he did get matching funds from the government, not for his election cycle, for the next one when he wasn't running anymore. So point being is that all of these, these things have been put in place to prevent a third party from taking power are really substantial. And it's gonna be very difficult to dismantle them and correct them. I'm not saying that shouldn't be done. I think it should be done because I think all of these things are incredibly undemocratic. Now on the Dementor side, let's talk about the Democratic Party. Um, I have been in so many DNC meetings for years, decades, I've covered these guys. So I've seen firsthand what goes on in those meetings and it's pretty ugly. I'm not going to lie to you. I have seen them. To be, to be clear, so you're not yeah. mischaracterized, you've been in as a journalist, not a DNC member. That is correct. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Yes, I have covered them as a journalist, the DNC meetings. Um, and I have seen some really, you know, bad stuff happen from inside. You know, I was I was there the when Jim Zogby had his problem with the DNC. It was really horrific. Um, I was there when the Sunrise Movement burst through the doors and shut down the meeting because they were not gonna be ignored. So, I mean, I, I've seen all this stuff. It is really problematic. I've seen on the floor where you have, you know, half the DNC members are absolutely lobbyists. That's not an exaggeration. That's just a fact of the matter. They're lobbyists. Um, they are fighting for corporate interests. The head of the DNC right now is a lobbyist. Uh, so yeah, there's problems there. I will also say though that a lot of the progressives that have been working to get, as Jordan said to that, you know, the fifth yard line or whatever in the football that is, they feel like they have been making changes. Is it slow? Is it slow going? Yes, it is. But I think if you talk to some of those uh, folks that are doing that work, they feel that they have made substantial cha cha uh, changes at the state level, which is, I think, where you have to begin anyway. You know, starting with the delegates that get elected into the party system. If you have nothing but corporate delegates 
at that level, it affects everything going all the way from the top to the bottom, right? Those are the folks that are really making the decisions. So they've been successfully running progressive candidates into those slots and placing them. I think that's a win. Um, slow going, is it going to get us to anywhere that we need to be within two or three years? Probably not. But neither, neither of these sides are going to get us there. So which brings me to what I think is a solution to, and I agree with Jordan here, is you have to push you have to push electoral politics from the outside. Don't say I'm not going to vote for a Democratic candidate simply because they're a Democrat. That's stupid. Don't forth say I'm not going to vote for a third party candidate simply because they're third party. Also stupid. Take a look at these individuals and make judgment calls on who they are or who you think they're going to be as politicians, no matter which party they're attached to. Um, and I think voting in primaries is something that needs to happen on a bigger scale. A lot of the good candidates, like you brought up Melanie, um, I interviewed her and she was a fantastic candidate. But look at the turnout for these primary elections. They're piss poor. People aren't coming out and voting for these great candidates. So we're losing them before they ever enter a general election. So I think that's also really problematic. But I think um, I think being able to push politicians with a force, like with a real force from the outside, is how you get things done. That's how that's why unions were so effective back in the day. It's why the growing labor movement we're seeing currently is going to be able to push for much more economic change than any electoral politics will on its own. You need people to push, to give pressure to, right? That's what these guys respond to, no matter what party they're associated with. I'd also say, uh, real quick on the Dem part, I think I agree with you. I've never believed in, oh, I don't care if it's Jesus. If they have a D next to their name, I'm not voting. I think that I understand why people hate the Democratic Party. I do, too. But if I think a candidate is really good, if I believe right. that they are going to fight, I'm not going to, like, you know, cut off my head despite my whatever. Exactly. Uh, but I do think there needs to be more of a um, purity test, so to speak, when considering these candidates that are running in the Democratic Party. I think it needs to be a condition uh, when journalists are interviewing them, but also oh, for voters that they, agree, that they agree to vote as a block with other progressives. This is standard business in, in United Kingdom, Australia, uh, other, uh, other, you know, even if it's a parliamentary system or other forms of government, uh, you know, the different factions and in other countries, as Ron pointed out, there's a lot more parties, they vote as a block. Sure, if there's a specific thing that like, a specific issue that just morally you don't feel right voting for, or you feel you have to, that's one thing. But there were many opportunities for the squad to vote together and kill right. legislation or they didn't. Yeah. or to demand concessions, which might have seemed small to some of us, but at least get something. And they have basically said, well, we vote, you know, we vote alone. Well, what's the point of you being there then? You have no power if you don't use it together. I thought Zaina, maybe, maybe you know more. I thought that was kind of the point of Justice Democrats of getting that in there. The whole plan. Well, not Justice Democrats necessarily, but sometimes people confuse Justice Democrats with brand new Congress. Justice Democrats had a platform, but brand new Congress's whole thing, and we were the ones who launched most of these people. We were the ones who launched AOC's campaign. People don't know that. It wasn't Justice Democrats. That came around a little bit later. We were also the one to launch uh, Cory Bush's campaign, right? Um, so, but the whole point was they sign on to a slate, then candidates hold each other accountable, and then the organizations hold them accountable. But in my last 
months there, we were saying, they were saying things like they weren't going to take nominations anymore, you know, from the communities. They were going to start handpicking people that they can get donations off of, you know, so that it'll build up our fundraising. And then we can't say anything about them because we, they were elected because people want, it's not just the money. That's what people get kind of confused sometimes. The money is a driving force, but yeah. one of the driving forces I've seen break up progressive movements, whether it be union organizing, whether it be organizations that are trying to build co-ops, do things on the ground, you know, or, or whatever it might be, is the proximity to celebrity, the proximity to power, the trying to make a name for yourself. And another problem is, is so many of these people that are brought into leadership roles of these organizations, we see it across pundits, um, I'm not talking about you guys, but I am talking about across pundits, even on the leftist sphere. I've been researching. There are people that their parents were DC elite. You know, they're from, I mean, Matt Taibbi is a great example. Matt does some good journalism, but his dad was an NBC, like a famous NBC commentator. And he's been inside the DC Beltway. So even in these organizations, everyone's from the Beltway. Everyone's from privilege. They don't know how to talk to people like me. They don't know how to talk to Appalachians. They aren't reaching out to us. They're telling us incrementalism is fine. And so when they get to Capitol Hill, when we're voting these people in, you know, Cori Bush was different. She's not from that. AOC was. Cori Bush wasn't. But when we get people in and um, they're surrounded by and then they they get in and they get that influence, they have that proximity to power it's not always the money. Sometimes it's the name. And I've, I've even found that to be a bigger driving force than the money. And we have to remember that about our politicians. It's not just the corporate interest. It's not just the corporate money. Because I thought corporate money out of it, get the corporate money out of it, and this will be solved. But I saw corruption from organizations that didn't take a dime in corporate money because they wanted proximity to power and they wanted to make a name for themselves. Yeah. Well, well I mean, the bottom line is, She's the easiest one to identify, but I've seen AOC do more magazine covers than protests led over the last year. I'm not I'm not against getting media coverage or writing a book, right. but I think I've seen her in GQ, Vanity Fair and however, you know, she was on Rolling Stone with Mama Bear. Um, that's not exactly bringing the ruckus to the Democratic Party. I don't think it's all her fault. I mean, it's easier to put her in a headline and get clicks and and do you know uh go at her there's plenty yeah. of others that ran on agitating the democratic party so that's what i mean uh within the democratic party it's not enough to just not take corporate money that was great when bernie started that five or six years ago but that's not enough anymore we need to vet these candidates that if you're running as a progressive yeah your life story matters i i want to identify with you and believe you're authentic but i want to know and, and you need to make the pledge when you're running that it, yeah that Pretty much down down the line, you guys are going to vote together. And what concessions are you going to demand? Perfect example. Perfect example. In tw beginning of 2021, Biden just got in there. He needed to pass a coronavirus uh, bill. Uh, the, the economy was still collapsing and cases were through the roof. I don't know, you know, however many were dying at the time. By the way, sorry to tell you, COVID still is a thing. No, um, in fact, it's increasing again. But... You know, he did that whole bullshit parliamentarian thing that the parliamentarian won't let us do the $15 minimum wage. Well, so stupid. we know what it was in the Senate. 
uh, 50-50, but the squad, if they would have voted together saying we're not, we are voting no unless the $15 minimum wage yeah. is part of this, I believe they would have won. Now, that does, they cannot force it on the Senate side, you know, mansion and cinema, whatever, that is what it is. But I believe they could have demanded concessions if they were willing to fight. Because the margin in the House, I think, was five votes the Democrats had control. So there were tangible ways that forced the vote that they chose not to. And that's why we need to do a better job vetting. Listen, there's plenty of candidates. They could pledge to do it when they're a candidate and they get in there and screw you. Uh, but we need to do a better job vetting. And by the way, yeah. um, to the people who want a third party, I never really understood this. Zaina, I'm sure you might have better insight. If you want to do a third party, why reinvent the wheel? Why not just take over the Green Party that has been a shit show, yes, but has had success getting on ballots, has had victories on a local level. There's somewhat of an infrastructure. I, yeah. I never understood building an entirely new party. You know, maybe there's more corruption in the Green Party that I don't know about, but there is a third party that exists. Um, and if you want to do a third party, to me, why not start there? But uh, it's only one. We need we need several. I think. I mean, we could make yeah. the yeah. same argument. That's what the Mrs. Caucus did with the with the Libertarian Party just uh, just a little while ago. But what people don't realize is, in every single state, getting on the ballot is completely different. Some states yeah. you can't get on the ballot for three or four years because you can only do it to, by running a gubernatorial race and getting two percent. But there's yeah, there yeah. there's a loophole here and this is this is what i've been saying this is my solution you asked what's the solution jordan here's the solution after researching all of this looking at all these states trying to figure out what all the barriers are the solution is the barriers are always less to run state and local and the barriers yeah. are less to run independent anyone can run independent it's easy to run independent but here's the thing we're looking at the shiny stuff over here like who's people are already talking about who's going to run president while we've got state house elections coming up and they're passing things like right to work legislation where they're taking away our rights, anti-abortion laws. Um, they're, they're privatizing our um, libraries and our health clinics. They're doing horrible things at the state level that are really impacting our lives in a way that federal isn't. And we're right. just the Republican Party is, is sweeping in state and local races because they're stronger because the they realize the democratic party walked away from so many state mechanisms years ago they're the republican run in kentucky they don't run here that's right the, the, well, the republican party on the on the state level is a hell of a lot stronger than the democratic party is absolutely not up for debate you're right on that we could run well, independent and we could get 10 to 15 seats in one state house this is what i wanted mpp to do let's target six states Let's get 15 people in and let's literally force them to vote. You know, let's let's do the thing like you're talking about, Jordan, at the federal level, like they want to do. But let's do it with the third party or independent candidates, build a coalition in the state houses and push that influence there because it would have the most impact on people's real lives right now. I'm talking things like food stamps, housing, yeah. libraries, school funding. Um, education funding. Tuition used to be funded at 85% at state universities. Tina, you mentioned this the other day. It, it now was 100% funded here in the state of California. You're correct. It's been definanced, but it was entirely funded here in California. We, we defunded our state 
public university systems. And so, which was wild to me when people would say to Bernie, like, oh, that's a unicorn. It's a pipe dream. We shouldn't have that. We can't have that. We can't do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's what it used to be. We did it for years that way. This is nonsense. I'd like to, uh, I want to read some comments. I'll start with, I'll start with somebody uh, hating on me, which is always my favorite. Uh, (laughs) Sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Uh, Ajamu? Uh, no, Jordan, you're wrong. You were committing the multiracial working class to a dead end. I'd love to know. What part is wrong? Yeah. I'd love to know sincerely how, because my point, my point actually is, I think that if people want to, you know, be just totally black or white, you know, some channels take their position, third party, some, uh, neither. That's fine to me. Neither of these is going to lead to what, what we want quickly. I, I, I think if people are being objective, a third party or taking over the Democratic Party, if you can, they're not going to get us universal health care in the next five years. I, I don't think so. They're not they going. Also, can I just say they also have some of the same inherent problems. Just because somebody's a Green Party candidate doesn't mean they cannot possibly be terrible or full of corruption as well. My right. point is we need to get to a spot where we judge individuals by what they're doing, what they're saying, and the policies that they support. And that can come in both packages. Right. I, you know, I mean, the, the systemic problems we have in the country don't disappear if they're a third party candidate. They just don't. But I guess the, well, I, don't, I don't think anyone's happened. suggesting. Oh, go ahead, I, I don't think anyone's suggesting they do. I, I mean, I, I think it just. Do. Some people do, Ron, because they literally say, I will never vote for a Democrat again. Fuck the Democrats. They're dead to me. I'm not voting for him. I mean, that's a position you can take. Fine. But I'm saying it's not realistic. If there's a good candidate and they happen to be running with a D after the name, why wouldn't you support them? That makes no sense. I guess I guess what what I was trying to say, and I'll give you an example, Ron. Um, So obviously, Amazon was victorious in Staten Island. It was it was great. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we covered it here um, the entire time. Then they had a second election a month later at a smaller one on Staten Island. They lost. There was a lot of union busting. Okay. Then they had a third one in Albany, about uh, 600 warehouse workers uh, up in Albany. uh, And there was barely, barely a drop of attention on it. I mean, I went up to cover the rally. Uh, There were people from the Amazon warehouse there. There wasn't really media coverage on the fact that there was another Amazon union election. There was really no organizing going on other than Christian Smalls on the Amazon labor union itself uh, and the workers in this warehouse. There wasn't any institutional organizing like I'm talking about of a leftist organizing infrastructure to get attention on the fact that there was uh, another uh, winnable Amazon union election. Uh, one of the reasons that they were so successful in Staten Island was, it sounds simple, but it's not, an amazing social media campaign, TikTok mm-hmm. videos that they did. Uh, yeah. It actually convinced a lot of the young people that worked in the Staten Island, Staten Island warehouse because of the great social media they were doing about Amazon union busting, uh, which then other media was picking up. Basically, yeah. there was no buzz at all, no attention on this uh, second Amazon union election. Uh, Amazon had an army of consultants in that warehouse scaring the living shit out of these workers ultimately they lost by 200 votes my point is without an actual organized infrastructure state to state city to city we have a bunch of satellite groups you got justice democrats which i'm not so pleased with you got sunrise movement they've done some good things but i i'm not so pleased with uh 
you know, there's a bunch of different groups that have their have their objective. There's no and there probably has never been in any of our lifetimes an organized infrastructure uh, among the progressive movement to focus on the actual uh, opportunities when we get them, like Amazon union elections, like uh, uh, like eviction fights. You know, you have isolated tenant unions. So to me, the problem is we don't have and another problem which is connected is one of the problems Zeta, you know this is local and state elections forget the candidate good luck good luck if more than 20 percent of the fucking community even know there's election even know there is an election happening even know that who their congressperson is most of them are checked out that's why this ongoing continual network not just during election times but all the time uh with local organizing creating economic hubs mutual aid those kind of things that is why uh that when the bat signal goes out hey we got to fight amazon's up for an election in albany or hey we got to protest here this and that uh we don't have that right now we just have basically everybody living on their own islands uh pissed off at you know bernie lost again bernie's bernie isn't doing what he should do the squad sold us out this and that people need to start getting involved in the fights that are happening another small example last year when striketober was happening i went out to cover the john deere strikes in iowa and illinois there wasn't any media there other than the local media there wasn't any national media i didn't even see indie media covering it much uh, i won't get into channels but I asked the lead organizer, have you tried to get on with other shows? They told me the shows. They said they haven't gotten a response. So wow. my point is there are like winnable victories for labor. And there is a domino effect for everybody else just because you don't work at Amazon. If Amazon starts unionizing more warehouses, you will see an effect in other areas of your life. If the, if the second largest company in America starts becoming a union shop, trust me, it will have a domino effect from there. These tenants unions that are popping up, I've spoken with them. They have a hard time getting media attention. So, yes, I'm long-winded. You're right. But the point is, <laughs> don't just focus on let's start a third party or, or uh, fuck the Democratic Party. All those are great. I don't really care which one you choose. You got to get involved on the organizing end. And then some people say, what do you mean by organizing? Literally, if you work two jobs and you don't have time, totally understand that. But one thing you can do is get involved in your community. Maybe you can't show up at meetings, but you can phone bank for certain causes. You, there are local opportunities, community to community, to boycott that uh, oppressive grocery store who's screwing the workers during a pandemic. To boycott the local bank that is uh, screwing uh, everybody, but particularly minorities. I see boycotts of Amazon for the first day of the month. That's not going to do anything, folks. One day, one day boycotts don't do anything. So I'd like to see more of the organizing groups actually focus on economic organizing, not just yeah. let's have a Medicare for all March. That's great. It's not a threat to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, I mean, yeah, we're covering a lot of ground here. And and again, like to reiterate, like, like I do... I do think that all of these things we've mentioned, especially localism is infinitely more important than, you know, like, like third party versus them enter than just electoralism in general. And if we're on the topic of electoralism, I always say the most important level is local. Local affects you by far the most. It is by far the most important. And it is where you actually have 
a chance at winning. We're really learning that here in Los Angeles, especially. You really have a chance at winning. The real estate developers figured that out a long freaking time ago. It's time for the rest of us to catch up because they know what they can do making these cities their playgrounds. It's time for us to fight back. So I'm totally with you there. Ron, Um, let me just point out on the local level, go ask the people of Buffalo right now. I think 40 people have died. Holy shit, right? India Walton, as the mayor in Buffalo, could have made a difference because she would have prepared for uh, the type of blizzards they're having. So you're right. It it could actually make a life and death uh, difference. And and look at how dirty they did her. They did her. I mean, that that was just like freaking ridiculous. And look, you know, I'm not one of the these people where where I'm just like that, um, you know, know, hyper tribal about it all, where I'm just like, if someone has this next to their name, I'm out. Hey, one of the few endorsements I gave this past election cycle was Fatima Iqbal Zubair. She ran as a Democrat. You know why? Because the way state assembly works here in California, you have no choice, really. If you want any chance at all, the way the system is set up right now, you pretty much have to run as a Democrat. We have it to the point where Republicans will register as Democrats because they know that's the only way. We basically have a <laughs> monolithic uni uni party here uh, in California. That's you it, mean we, Rick Caruso? Is that who you're referring to? <laughs> Well, technically, no, because mayor's nonpartisan. But yeah, like like you you just see it all the time because the way our system works is we have jungle primaries and stuff he like that. Parties, that was and my point. We did switch parties, and it's because you need to get those endorsements. So yeah, like you really, you know, Fatima, the party just screwed her her over left and right, and, and hung her out to dry every opportunity they had. But she had no choice but to run within the party if she wanted any chance of victory. And she faced mountains and mountains of corporate money. When she first started building a movement, they redistricted her, which is the same thing they did uh, to Summer Lee over in Pennsylvania. The the irony there for me on a personal level is that my parents used to live in Summer Lee's district and I live in Fatima's district. So you see the same dirty tricks, you know, miles and miles away across the freaking country. Um, So, you know. I think that those are the rules that so desperately need to change. Um, You know, in the reason that I'm willing to, you know, be definitive in saying like, yes, I would rather see uh, those efforts go more into third parties than towards them entering is because we are still the smallest group politically in the country. We're not as small as we thought we were. Bernie did show us that in 2016, which I'm, I'm glad he did. But we're still by far the smallest group politically. So we only have so many resources. We only have so much energy. And I just think that if every single, especially imagine if every single person who lived in a decided state. Now, some people, they say safe state. I don't like to use that phrase because I don't think there's anything safe about the Electoral College. I call it a decided state. Whether you live in a decided blue state or a decided red state, if everyone who lived in a decided state voted third party if that was more reflexive of their views whether it be the green party or even the libertarians somebody would get to five percent somebody would get there and you know another example i'll throw out there so up in maine uh they have ranked choice voting up there lisa savage ran for senate as uh, an independent technically she was she was a green but she was registered as an independent because something got screwy there i don't remember all the details but so Lisa Savage, independent green, ran for Senate in Maine. She did not win. But because they had ranked choice voting, the duopoly candidates weren't able to just make it all about like, hey, I'm not as shitty as this person. Vote for me. They had yeah. to actually talk about issues. Lisa 
got a lot more press coverage than she would have otherwise. Lisa got invited to all of the debates. So because of Lisa, the Democrat had to address things like the Green New Deal. The Democrat had to address things like Medicare for all, things that the Democrat would have avoided otherwise. So imagine if something like that happened all over the country. Ranked would choice green, would be great. Yeah, it wouldn't be an automatic path to victory. I mean, all oh. of these are very, very heavy lifts. No one's disputing yeah. that. But I feel like if electoralism is your lane and we put all of our efforts into changing the rules, getting money out of politics and ranked choice voting, which who is leading those efforts? Largely the Green Party and other third party efforts. If those efforts were the most heavily amplified, is it still a very long and heavy lift? Absolutely. Are there still because you got to elect the people to get that stuff done? And they're not going to let us. No, no which brings me back to the, why some of these Dem enter, enter people matter. The progressive wing of the Democratic Party is also very much pushing for ranked choice voting. And they also have had some successes getting that passed. And there's no way these, these efforts would work without their support as well. I think this point is I also don't know. important. I mean, I uh open primaries is also i agree huge, yeah. i i yes. am a big fan of open primaries huge fan of open primaries 100 percent. yeah that, i think that increases democracy as well i i think most of the credit for this though goes to ballot initiatives around those issues when they get ranked choice uh uh voting on the ballot via a grassroots effort which again yeah. is outside of electoralism and, yeah. you know, and again, look, I'm not saying that the Green Party is perfect by any mean. There's there's plenty of things about the Green Party that pisses me off. But, you know, the Green Party, I think, doesn't get the credit that they're due when it comes to ranked choice voting. They have pushed for that very hard and I they have seen some success. No, no, I, I know no one here is. But just speak in general. You know, I, I think a lot of times. Uh, they're kind of a lightning rod because they are, you know, like the biggest left wing third party that we have. So I think sometimes they get a, a lot of lightning that they don't deserve. Again, not to say they don't have their problems. They totally do. Um, but look, over 100 Greens hold office across the country. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they won their first election within five years of forming. Uh, and that was before they had the Internet. That was in like like 1991 or whatever it was, 92 or something. So, you know, I I think that, you know, when we have these limited resources and again, I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are like Dementor people. Well, some of my friends asked me to join one of their slates and I'm like, look, I want to see you guys succeed. And, you know, especially like someone like Fatima, I'm like, look, no matter what is next to your name, I will always vote for you and always support you. But I, I kind of feel like it's like watching people running into a burning building, you well, know, Ron, and I just wish we put all of our energy elsewhere. Can I push back on one thing that you said? Yeah, go ahead. You can push back on all of it. <laughs> Actually, I agree with you, so I'm not going to push back. But um, there is one thing you'd said that we were the minority, right? If you take the labels off, what you'll see is statistically looking at it. 79% of people have fleed the voting rolls for either party. That's right. Most people are independent now. You're not wrong. One of the number one polled things in the country is, is corporate corruption and tired of both parties, and both parties are basically the same. Another thing that's number one polled in the country, even 46% of Republicans support universal health care, universal child care, tuition-free college. We are the majority 
abortion was made to be 50-50. It's not. It's 11% to 89% in favor of pro-choice. I'm sure there's some people that want some restrictions on. There's a little gray area there, but pro-choice, 89%. We are the majority. The problem is the minority are the ones in leadership roles. The minority are leading this organization. The people who are millionaires, the people who haven't struggled a day in their damn life and they've never talked to a voter and they don't know how to talk to poor people. I hear these pundits all the time saying things about poor people and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that's not what it's like. That's not what poor people think. I've been on the phone. I could get on the phone with somebody who's conservative in West Virginia, right? And I can start up a conversation with them and I can say, so... Your kid um, is in, do you have kids? And they say, yeah. And I say, okay. Um, So, you know, what if your kid wanted to go to school to be a doctor? What if they wanted to go to school to be a lawyer and they can't? And, you know, right now they have all these barriers up. Well, my kids should be able to go to school to be anything they damn well want to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't our tax dollars go to that? Yes. And then I say, how hard was it? Or do you have insurance at all? How hard is it for you to get a primary care physician? Can you get a PCP? Because I know I can't. I can't. I've been calling for months and I can't get one. And they say, it's impossible. I can't get in to see nobody, blah, blah, blah. And so then the conversation goes into, they actually support universal health care. They might be MAGA and they support universal health care. And here's the thing. These what we see online, the fringes that we see because the algorithms and everything, those are the fringes. MAGA is the fringe. They're the rich elite. They're not the poor blue collar workers. There are some that are. Are you implying? Are you implying there's a world beyond Twitter? Because I'm going to have to dispute that. <laughs> no, I. You're absolutely what right. I'm mean, forget Ron, but yes. Yeah, right. But we all. No. You, you're a hundred percent right. And, and yeah, I, I guess I think the challenge that still does exist though. And, and, and I guess that's like kind of more what, what, what I meant was like, there's still a huge messaging hurdle to overcome here yeah. because I, I mean, I, I think everything you said is a hundred percent right on and I, I don't disagree with any of it, but I do think that there is still a very, very thick layer of propaganda that we still need to cut through as a society. We're like, even though a lot of people would rather see these policies in our world, you know, they're still going to get scared off real quick by the Fox News, the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world. That's going to tell you that we just can't have the healthcare system that works everywhere else in the industrialized world. For some reason, it just wouldn't work here. And we, we see it time and time again. We see the cycle re- repeat every, every uh, you know, every so often. I do think the tide is starting to turn. In 2008, when you said the word single payer, uh, a lot of people still weren't ready to hear it. I do think right. that has changed now. I think that's so definitely changed. Yeah. It, it, it's happening, but but I think we still got a thick layer to, 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 to poke a hole in. I You actually kind of uh, stole my thunder because, and by the way, breaking news, I put up a poll. Uh, oh, with the sim- okay. Yes. With, I with love the these polls. With the simple, do we want to see more Zena on status quo? Uh, an overwhelming 92% say yeah. yes. <laughs> and uh, the 8%, I don't know, must be. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Get- <laughs> more like more like the hate percent. Yes. <laughs> so, 92% want to see more Zena. So uh, we'll have and to I- make, make it happen. Um, I was going to say, Ron, you know, I think that 
people answer this question, and I, I don't mean this in a condescending way. I really truly mean it. People answer this question emotionally because people are hurting. <laughs> like, I, if you're not fed up with the Democratic Party, uh, you should you're not paying attention. Uh, yeah. People answer this like based on their visceral uh, disgust, hatred for the Democratic Party. But you have to answer this based on, you know, obviously your gut feel, but also actually have a strategy and a plan, whichever, whether it's running a third party candidate, running as a Democrat or fucking running as a glow in the dark alien. How are you going? How are you going to win? Because I'm not I'm not for vanity campaigns running as independent just to make a point. I don't I don't sure. think we have time for that. Yeah. The, the people that were saying, well, it's got to start somewhere, Jordan. And Nina Turner should have ran in the bluest district in all of Ohio as an independent. And if she lost by 50, whatever, at least we would have got the ball rolling. I don't know. Tell that to the candidate who has to spend a year and a half of their life running. I, I talked to Nina's team about this. Only 20, 20, only what is it? 17% of her community vote. So it's all the older neoliberals. Yeah. If they had done a massive voter drive and she had run as independent, she might have been able to bring out the 42% in her district that want to go independent and have lost, lost faith in both parties. I love Nina, but that is one point that I, that I have to push back on. If she had ran independent, she may have actually gotten more momentum um, I was the one and knocked down the house that was behind the scenes telling Paula Jean, next time run independent. That was me. Um, that was you. <laughs> because honestly, people are so tired of the two-party system that if you market it right yeah. and you're out there and you're going to college campuses, you're talking to the youth and you're doing voter registration drives and you're getting out the vote, independents can win. Third parties can be built. The problem is, is that the spoiler lie about spoiling the vote is part of the problem. And the second yeah. one is that it's a mythos. It's not true. It's a myth. Both yeah, no, it's also really undemocratic. I hate it when people say that. You don't, no party is entitled to a vote. No candidate is entitled to a vote. You have to earn votes. It's a democracy. What's left of it. But, but why yeah. do you hate Hillary so much, Tina? <laughs> <laughs> why do you I I would I would be how much time I would be, do you have? <laughs> I would be totally totally thrilled to have egg on my face. Trust me, if you were right, all I've seen in campaigns is the opposite: is those diehard, and it's, it's on the Republican side too. The diehard vote from PTA level to president every election, uh, baby boomers come out, and there hasn't been that. Voter registration, messaging to college students, Bernie, a little bit. If there was, yeah, maybe they could have a, a shot. Because we got, yeah. we got a bunch no, of out of touch people trying to talk to people and message to them, and they don't know how to talk to people, and they ain't going to the places, and they're, they – they go to the rich neighborhoods. They go to the fancy places. They go to where the donors are. They don't go out here talking to people like me. They don't go to the trailer parks. They don't go to the college campuses. They don't bring in Gen Z and, and Gen Y. You know, like uh, they're not bringing millennials in. And yeah, yeah, so non-voters non -voters are the biggest block of voters in the country. Well, and if, if somebody wants to win a, a campaign, and this is why, honestly, this is why pre the why President Bernie, see, I'm making him president now. This is why Bernie Sanders uh, did ex oh, right, did experience a lot of his, his successes because he was bringing in non-voters. You know, here in the state of California, that first cycle, I think he registered close to a million new voters with the campaign because they did 
part of their initial thing when they came to the state of California was to, to go out and register college students, register young voters to vote. And they were very successful in that. Didn't win the state, but we could get into that another I, day. I think this is a good comment. I'd love to get your thoughts because I, I don't know if I agree, but um, both parties are traitors, says it's not just about winning. It's about building another choice. Nina's a nice person, but should have run outside the duopoly. Uh, what do you think about that? That, yeah, obviously we all want to win, but building building the uh, infrastructure to have more choices. I think we've got to do both. And that, right. that little girl meme right now, why can't we have both? <laughs> I think we got to build that infrastructure to win. But, but, I, but I do think it's like, you know, the left has been losing in this country for pretty much a century, literally. I'm so sick of losing. I'm just so, so sick of losing. I want to see some wins. Um, but, you know, you got to be strategic about how to get those wins. But at the same point, we don't have time for, like, gross incrementalism. So I, I know we're not going to, like, flip uh, our electoral world, you know, instantaneously, no matter what. I, I think we all agree that that is impossible because it is. But, um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, trying to get those victories and trying to win in the margins as quickly as possible um and and doing so definitively and you know just the idea i mean i mean what 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 continues to just frustrate me i mean look you know i mean we've been asking people especially you know folks that are more on the dementor side we bring up the fact that hey the squad isn't working as a block that's like the we're not asking them to like take over everything we understand they're outnumbered but they got to work as a freaking block they're refusing to do it what do we do no one's been able to answer that question. Well, we just got to hold them to account. And and if it will just replace the people who don't. Okay, so we went through all this effort to get these six people. Now we're already working on replacing them. At this rate, by like 2093, maybe we're going to have 10 people whose votes we can count on. I mean, that's freaking nuts. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, and, and Jordan, you kind of said this too, and I do agree. I, I'm not into symbolic gestural things or, or just like i'm gonna make a statement or just no like, like i'm 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 here to freaking win and i want to win and that's what frustrates me again like I'll, I'll bring up my you know the example with my district in fatima look you know i knew fatima was in it to win it that's why i supported yeah. oh, her she definitely was I yeah, and she, and she, she was, was great. great you interviewed her and and yeah your guys's interview was awesome by the way and and she's great my thing is, I just wish we had a society where she didn't have to run as a Democrat. Right. I wish there was something else available to her. And and, and I think that's so just... What if, what if, I have a really radical idea. What if we didn't have political parties at all and people just ran for office? That'd be dope. That'd I would. That would be the best. That's why I say more people run independent because if we get more people independent on the ballot, then maybe we can start shifting people to think more that way. But no matter who's elected, no matter how much we vet them in the beginning, no matter how much we believed in them or went and knocked doors for them or supported them, we have to be able to hold them accountable once they're elected too. So we, I think part of the problem is, is that people vote and then they think we go and we're voting, we're one and we're done when we need to be doing the things that Jordan's saying, talking about is putting those economic impacts, you know, um, um, putting those pressure points, heck, go and, and 
um, organize and, and sit in a parking lot at Whole Foods and block block the rich people from going and getting their groceries <laughs> one day and, and have a call to action with it. Make people uncomfortable. I'm serious. Like well, yeah. it, things like this and thinking outside of the box, we're, we're boxed in and how we organize and we're not thinking outside of the box anymore. And it's either rally, do a do a fundraiser. Um, do social media and or or you know have a have a, a justice parade is what I call them that never goes anywhere like the like the pink hats marches that the women's march did, yeah. did nothing and now we've got Roe versus Wade reversed. So well, you do have to think outside the box. I also think I also think um, part of it also is like I think a lot of people want to have a one size fits all strategy in terms of messaging when. The reality is all politics is local. So like, yeah. I, I, I'm not happy that John Fetterman, for example, uh, flip-flopped on fracking. If he didn't flip-flop on fracking and he ran on uh, banning fracking, I don't think he would have won in the state of Pennsylvania. That's just the truth. I don't like it, but that's the reality based on how big of an economic force it is there. Uh, people could say what they want. A lot of people got mad at me. But, I, you know, Nina Turner, for example, I think she, I actually think he still would have won, to tell you the truth. I mean, we'll never know. But I actually think people maybe. liked him, man. People liked him. And, and yeah, if Oz, he, Oz was like, you know, come on now. <laughs> I think fracking is such a big part of I mean, I think it's other than Texas, number two, that I think people probably would have eaten coup d'etat, whatever it was with uh, <laughs> Dr. Oz. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. Coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. They've also seen the effects from it in Pennsylvania. Like, yeah. like, like they've seen like how it's just sort of like a short term thing that ends up screwing you in the long run. I mean, they've lived that firsthand in that state. I'm from there. I think that if he ran on an economic message where we're going to invest in green uh, energy and that's the future and it's going to be a sustainable job, it's not going to be these temporary fracking wells that only go so far and they screw us over in the process. Yeah. I think he would have won, and I think people would would have really like grabbed onto that. I mean, keep in mind, like Pennsylvania is also you know the home to Rachel Carson. You know, like like there's there's definitely an environmental mindset there. It's Appalachia. And, uh, yeah, so, we're, we're tired of fracking. Well, Get out of our backyard. Stop fracking. It, Stop. I think he still would have won. That's all. Interest, interestingly enough, on the exit polls in Pennsylvania, I believe abortion was number one over the, over inflation. So that, for whatever reason, seemed to take number one. But my other point is um, another reason he won, he went more than most Democrats into red rural areas and he yeah. did better in those areas. He beat Biden uh, presidential campaign in red rural areas. Uh, he wouldn't have done that, you know, if he was r ranting about uh, a lot of the things we want. So I'm not saying, hey, sell out to get elected. My point is like Nina Turner, for example, everybody was like, she should run against Biden in the Democratic Party. Well, I don't know. I was in Cleveland twice. I could tell you that wouldn't have been a very popular campaign strategy yeah. in, in Cleveland. It would have won like the mm -hmm. online left if she were on scorched earth. I think that's a better I think that's a better idea nationally. Like I think Bernie made a mistake when they made Zephyr teach out, take down that uh, column calling Joe Biden corrupt. I think that was a mistake nationally because I think there's I think that's uh, it's easier to run nationally against the corrupts. Look what Trump did. He was full of shit, but he yeah. ran against the, you know, Goldman Sachs and the deep state and uh, the corrupt puppet politicians that I bought off. 
it was pretty popular nationally. I think Bernie wasn't willing to go for the jugular, but on the local level, in some areas that love them Nancy Pelosi or love them Jim Clyburn or whatever, uh, it might not be the best strategy. So, well, you'll you'll see, Jordan, that those polls and who is polled, even for exit polling and stuff, they're. <clears throat> It's that we we're basing like our politics in this country, and I've said this a lot on on voting roles, like who voted, like what's a red state, what's a blue state, you know, versus who did vote the last ten years. When yeah, most people don't vote, so it's not statistically accurate, you know, to, yeah. to a reflection of who we are. I like, agree with I, you. I like that's why that's why Shama Shawant was able to do what she was what she did because they did amazing voter drives. Sama Shawant um, makes some of the most perfect arguments for a third party and for running independent because she's spot on right. Because she's always talking about how most people don't vote. And if we can get those people out that don't vote, we can win. And that we have to stop focusing on, not, not to push back Jordan, but the, you know, just we have to stop focusing on the people who are voting. We need to still talk to them. Yes. But we can, that's who we can't. I've worked, um, you know, where everyone bases their, their call time on, um, on, um, Oh, what is the Democrat? So, NGP van. I was just going to bring that up. That's it, this is like so problematic. They they focus on voters that they know vote every single cycle, whether it's a primary or a general election. They have this data, right? Every party does. And right. they, they send out they pay, they have paid canvassers that they pay to go door to door. And the people that they focus on are the ones that they know have voted in every single election. Those are their target audience. They ignore the non-voters. And this is crazy to me because I think you're right. The biggest voting block out there is the non-voters. You bring those people in to vote and you win an election. It's so crystal clear. I don't know why more people don't tap into that strategy. Well, and you can still get donations, small dollar donations. You could still run your engines and you can run cheap. Like I, I researched middle seat. Have you guys heard about middle seat? They were no. founded by, I think you've heard of them, Jordan. I think I've mentioned them to you yeah. before. I was working on a story. Middle they seat? were founded, middle seat, S-E-A-T. Okay. They were founded by Zach Exley and ex-Bernie Sanders staffers. They've now made almost $70 million off Justice Democrats and progressive candidates. They made $8 million in this cycle off John Fetterman alone. And all they are is a marketing company. They just do conferences. Really? The stuff that I did for candidates for free as a volunteer. They're getting paid People, for. They're Holy getting shit. paid like they got paid by Beto's campaign $30 million. And they're doing canvassing? Well, no. What a, what a great investment. He always they're cleans doing, up in elections, that Beto. <laughs> fundraising, He's social great. media, and ads. Yeah. They um, make Beto look progressive. That was their whole they have, they have entire like companies devoted to doing paid canvassing and ballot um, harvesting and whatnot now. Like it's, it's, a, it's this growing industry. When I was in, uh, you mentioned Shama Sawant, and I think that's a really uh, good point. When I was in Seattle a couple of years ago, I was covering kind of how Amazon created a fucking homeless disaster zone in Seattle. But yeah. Shama Sawant, one thing she's done outside of just the voter drives, she's very active on the community level. Like she's constantly going to community meetings. Uh, she shows up to activist meetings. She's not really like in so separate uh, as, a, as most politicians are from the activist base. 
she's kind of what we thought like AOC and these others would be, which is a activating the activist base uh, who would show up for you because you're showing up for them. When I was there, I think I was there for a week. I, she was there. I think it was for a housing meeting with uh, local people uh, because one specific uh, complex was hiking rates so high. I mean, she's present all the time. Granted, she's not like a congressperson, so she doesn't have to show up for votes on that level. But she was one with the activist community. And that's why even against Amazon port, I mean, literally for local city council of elections, they were pouring in millions of dollars to try and remove her in yeah. her normal elections and then recall campaigns. But she actually activates the base, whereas the elected progressives, they seem oh. to kind of be allergic to their like Cori Bush, for example. I met her when I covered protests in St. Louis years ago. She was like an activist activist. She was out there every night for like 30 days when they were protesting uh, after the murder of Anthony Lamar, uh, Anthony Lamar Smith, uh, another black man that was uh, killed unarmed mm -hmm. by police. But she gets there and it's like, it's not necessarily that they're corrupt. I don't think they're corrupt. They just succumb to the the power and the pressure and the long game. Oh, it's a long game. You know, your activism was good before, but let me tell you how it is inside. Kind of kind of that. But like, if they would do more of what Shamas want, listen, we just had a pandemic. If they would have activated the base, even during a pandemic, you could have got a couple thousand people in front of the White House demanding expanded health care during yeah. this pandemic. Easy. Uh, you could have got, you know, kudos to AOC for protesting Roe. Uh, that's easy. Where was she protesting? Biden, one of the biggest scandals that nobody even mentions, he didn't just take over the patent from Moderna and Pfizer. I don't yeah. want to get into COVID because it triggers some people, but we could have <laughs> shared the formula with the rest of the world. Right. A lot of these variants are starting in under-vaccinated countries. Yeah. They have literally warehouses where they're ready to go, but th these companies wouldn't share the formula. Biden, Ralph Nader said it's within the president's power, emergency powers during a health emergency to seize those patents, which, by the way, we paid for. There was no yeah, protest from this. by taxpayer dollars. So, yeah. Right. There was no protest. <laughs> on this omnibus bill? Where are they on this last military budget spending, which was the right. highest that we've ever spent for insane things? Why are they not down in Atlanta? I know that that's not her district, but why isn't everybody down in Atlanta protesting Cop City? Because that's going to be used as a model um, of militarization and privatization yeah. of police training. It's a freaking city that's being built on native land where they're training yeah. police. They're building a helipad there for Blackhawks. Oh my God. So why aren't these representatives showing up for this? You know, where's Stacey Abrams? No one's seen Stacey on Cop City. Where is she? Which, these by the way, up. by <laughs> the way, I, I, I'm obviously not going right now. I have a newborn, but we are trying to find somebody to go down there. Uh, so we might cover that on the ground. If you don't know Cop City, uh, there's been activists protesting, even in like the forest, uh, to block this police training center. Uh, yeah. from being built on indigenous land. But um, yeah, I think that we should definitely extend this conversation to the new year. There's going to be people who say, you know, oh, we're, we're, uh, we're all sellouts and, you know, whatever. I think we all kind of, I, I actually, if you put a gun to my head, 
I actually. Who is that? <laughs> is that your dog? If you put a if you put a gun to my head, I actually side more with Ron as far as building a third party. But to me, and the people that are advocating for third party don't want to answer this, or they don't yeah. have an answer. To me, the, the reality is, it doesn't matter if it's a third party, or it's still trying in the Dem party, or it's make up a third option. If you don't answer those three things, number one, how are you going to get some of the normie people? And those normie people have been convinced against third parties. They've been Ralph Naderized. And if you want to, if you want to counteract those normie, de uh, normie Democrats or Republicans to voting for your third party, if you don't want to take that option, then you have to do what Zena says. And you have to figure out a way to unprecedented mobilization of non-voters, which is not easy either. I'm just being realistic. No, it's not easy. You have to have the right candidate to do that. The re the only reason Bernie Sanders' campaign was able to do that because they had Bernie Sanders, right? Right. Somebody that is not a candidate like Bernie Sanders Sanders isn't going to motivate those voters. It has right. to be somebody with that skill set, that um, all of it, you know, the package. So, and I don't see anybody in politics right now that even comes close to him. Right. And and it's to, a problem. And to me, so you have to answer that question how do you get the most consistent voters to give you a look and if you're okay. if you're going to say fuck them we're going to get young people out or, or we're going to get non-voters out great show me show me the way uh, and I'll, i'm there to cover it uh two that can help <laughs> two, I answer these questions jordan <laughs> number two i'll tell you because i've seen it in the flesh the media is the ultimate super pack the media is the ultimate super pack whether it's crushing Bernie two times or crushing third parties, right. we don't have a, a we don't have anything close to a comparable media. Uh, we have a bunch of leftists kind of sitting on their own island in most cases, you know, trying to cancel one another. In my opinion, so uh, until you have a strategy to either break through the media blackout, which I think Matthew Ho did a little bit uh, in North Carolina or counteract the media propaganda. I think Bernie, frankly, did a poor job in these media interviews. I think his, he had bad advice from old dinosaur consultants in 2016, telling him to play nice to get booked in the media. I think he should have been more adversarial in these interviews with I CNN agree. and MSNBC. Yeah, I, think he, I think he did a better job in 2016 and a poor yeah. job in 2020. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I think he did a shitty job both times, but yeah. No, 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 no. I, I feel you. I, I feel you, but, but I feel like in 2016, he was more kind of like yes i'm an outsider and yes we need more so like we need ron, new solutions ron if i'm if i'm on 60 minutes as bernie sanders and anderson cooper terrible accent is asking me about uh is asking me about fidel castro i turn to anderson and say anderson i know you want a soundbite but i'm running for president of the united states not cuba you you could do a, a segment on cuba another day let me tell your viewers why I'm going to protect their social security. Let no, me tell you, viewers, you. why they've been fed uh, uh, some things about right. me that might not be true. I'm not here to talk about Cuba, Cuba, okay? Uh, and I know that his campaign aides that were watching, that's, what they, that's how they wanted it to react because they knew what the media was going to do. But right. to me, whether you're running his third party, which I'm totally fine with, and that's fine, uh, or you're running his Dem or anything else, you have to figure out how to break through. And I think Ron or whoever said it is right. It's not sexy. It doesn't get the coverage. There's a right. lot more opportunities on a local and state level. Uh, and not only 
is that good? But if you can win on the local and state level, then you have a case to make nationally. Look at the examples here where progressives have won what they've accomplished uh, to make a case nationally. Hey, it's working on the local level if you're running as a national candidate. So, but like I said, if more people don't get involved outside the electoral politics, and my mind just shifted on this. I think more in the beginning when I first covered this stuff, I was more on the electoral end. But now since I've covered the same protests over and over and over and over again, uh, I'll still cover them. I mean, it matters to be out there and, and make sure people know that these are happening, but it's the same strategy. It, it, there's no different strategy with these protests. You could do direct actions to your blue in the face. They'll let you. If there's no threat behind the direct action, it's, right. it's, it's just a protest. You know, you need a threat because to me, why did the yellow vest movement, why did they have success besides the fact that they're more comfortable protesting? Because if they get fired, they still have health care. That's a big thing in France. Right. But the yellow vest movement was successful because they they came it with threats. The crap out of the economic system. Yeah, 100 percent. And that's not easy here. I understand for a lot of people who are listening, they're going to say, Jordan, I'm working two jobs. I don't have time to go out. I, I can't leave my kids to go out. I'll never forget my last uh, reporting trip. Uh, I was talking to somebody in West Virginia. She said, I don't have gas to go to the protest. I don't have money for gas to go to the protest. A, a lot thing. of people are in that position. Uh, so yeah. it's not easy to do the things we're talking about. But uh, until people start locally creating these organizing hubs, I think we're going to be having the same conversations over and over again. Uh, well, and we, we need to look at them yeah. and learn from them because they have been successful at the local level. They have been successful at the federal level. And you know what? People always act like the Democratic Party and the Democrats are out there. They're the real grassroots um, party. That's bullshit. <laughs> That's bullshit. I, I'll tell you firsthand. Republicans, one thing people say is they say, and this isn't true. They say Democrats, you know, promise us nice things and Republicans, um, are, we just know that they're awful. That's not true. In a lot of local, uh, Democrats definitely do promise us things and don't keep them. But both parties do. And oh, in some yeah. places, both parties are promising the same thing. In Kentucky, the Republicans that are running, they're promising health care. They're promising jobs. They're promising um, to fund our state universities and our state colleges. They're promising um, to, 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 to get cheaper housing for us. They're making what sounds like, you know, leftist or progressive promises. People don't realize this. And you know what else they're doing? They're knocking the doors in the poor areas. They're going to the trailer parks. They're registering new voters. They're yeah. not, you know, um, you're right, Jordan. Those the voters who vote more regularly need to be reached out to. But Republicans actively are constantly organized to recruit and they're strategic. They'll do a ballot initiative if it's the most strategic to help them with their gerrymandering or to help them with whatever it is that helps them get through. They will vote in somebody like Trump so that they could get all those court justices sat and the Supreme Court sat. They are strategic. Yeah, the left is not. We are missing strategy. And it has to be all in my opinion, it has to be all the things. Where is the smartest thing that can make the most impact? If you look at some of the ballot initiatives in the states that can have ballot initiatives, because only 26 can, there were some major ballot initiative victories this yeah. last election cycle. If you look at some, some independents ran this last, last election cycle and won by some of the tactics you were talking about, Jordan, but it is possible 
But if we're not strategic about it, like you were saying, if we're not organizing locally, if we're not working with the unions, if we're not working with the on the ground co-ops and, and we're not bringing new people in, then we can't. We to me, the biggest thing we have to stop doing on the left is gatekeeping from what they call the PMC class, the managerial class. They keep the poor people out. They don't let us talk. They don't give us a voice. They keep us out and they talk at us like they know better than us. And no, and the right wing doesn't do that. They just don't. I'm sorry. But the left does it. They're elitist and they're up on a, on a high horse. And until they get off that high horse and, and they let somebody up and they let people up, move up in the ranks and, and take leadership roles and organize around the poor people, letting the poor people lead, the people that are suffering, the people that are hurting, we're not going to get anywhere. All this other stuff is just talk until we're able to do that because I felt like the Democrats have been talking at me for the last 40 years. That's why I never liked the Democratic Party. They were the smug elite party, right? They didn't used to be. I mean, elitist telling me that stuff. I think they have for years. They have have in the modern time, yes. But I'm saying they, I mean, really a great read on what you're talking about right now is Thomas Frank's book, What's the Matter with Kansas? Right. That's a good Um, book. I'm going to take a moment and go relieve my wife so I can take care of the baby. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, if you if you came late, uh, I'm not quite back all the way. I should be back all the way middle of January. Uh, right now, I'm taking care of a newborn and working on a book. So um, I should be which back. Is, which is also kind of a newborn. Right. <laughs> It's a whole different process. Yeah, if you guys, some people have thought like I'm just chilling. Trust me, I'm not just chilling. I've been working, uh, working on a book. I'm seven chapters down. Uh, Each one has taken a while because I need to kind of re-report the whole everything I've already reported, and I'm finding all these new things. Uh, So the book's on Flint. I'm trying to get a publisher. Uh, No news on that yet, Uh, but I should be back hopefully in two or three weeks. Uh, but you're in good hands with Ron, Tina, Kim, uh, everybody else. Uh, Zaina, thanks for coming on and, and your help. And I'll see you guys. Uh, Steve Grumbine will be live tomorrow at 5 o'clock. So we'll have another live stream. And then uh, next week, uh, not Monday, uh, but Tuesday. We'll, Ron Tuesday. and Tina will be back on, on Thursday. Uh, so thanks for having me. And uh, continue on with these Super Chats. All right, Jordan. Thanks for – that's kind of funny saying thanks for popping into Jordan. thanks for popping in we'll we'll see we'll see how your screen tests went we'll call you uh (laughs) but uh all right let's get to these uh fly chomper fly what's up happy holidays happy new year no so this is from a while ago uh no boomers are 50 50 new data shows gen x worse hang on Um, now i don't know that's what fly chomp i I don't know. I don't know what data that is, what way or another. So I, I, mean, yeah, I have no idea. But I mean, uh, you're, you're new data that shows- Wait, Ron, are you millennial or Gen X? I'm millennial. Oh, damn it. Am I the only Gen X here? Damn it. Damn well, it. I'm right on the cusp, like right, like directly <laughs> in between. It's called the lost generation. The so. x millennial is that you? Yep. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm a millennial old because I am I like, like, like on the older end of millennials. Send us information on what you're you're talking about here with Gen X. I need to know. Tina is very oh, concerned about this. Fly chopper fly. Send her that data. She will register it right next to the Hitler porn. Peace coming soon. And we'll we'll get to the bottom of all this. Tina, um, you'll be fascinated because most it, it, it the data is showing that most of like the um 
the like more the like the Kunon circles and the MAGA and Gen Xers. Gen Xers, man. Oh my God. I mean, some of your people couldn't handle the internet. No, obviously, but some of you Gen Xers couldn't handle it. Gen Xers have been completely just tuned out of everything for so long. Why would they come back to that? Like, what the fuck? Because they embraced the internet and weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for the internet. They, 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 <laughs> they couldn't handle like like once it got past dial up, they were fucked. They were like, oh man. Like, I'm old enough to like have worked for a news organization where we had actual like print media. Like, I mean, we'd have newspapers now, but this was a magazine. And I would have to like we didn't have computers, right? There was no internet. So you would type up your piece, you would get actual photographs, like real photographs, and you would have to FedEx this entire package to the editor who was always, you know, in New York or whatever. And then there would be like days turnaround and then he would call you because he would be like, I'm not, I'm going to type in these notes and do this thing. Like, imagine working yeah. that way. That was like normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> the internet broke our brains. I don't know. I loved it when the internet came along. My first uh, PC had eight megabytes of RAM. Eight. That was like, that was a lot back then. I know. <laughs> you had a bougie computer back then. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember. I had a like. Macintosh Performa. It was so bougie. It was bougie classic. So, anyway, uh, I apologize on behalf of my fellow Gen, Gen X team members for that because that's terrible to hear. I didn't know that. All right, so let's. We, we got some to get through. Uh, JX, you're back. What's up? Happy holidays. Uh, happy New Year. We don't need ranked choice voting. The ability to spoil is power. Embrace it. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to win stuff. Like, like I'm sort of a big fan of of, of trying to actually get real power. And uh, I, I'm sort of. I think ranked choice voting would help. You know that that's uh that's my take on it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I agree. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm tired. I'm tired of losing. Like, I'm, I'm really tired of losing. I just think I wanna... ranked choice voting is is very much more democratic. It just is. Like, you have options. You can rank who you want. Then it goes into the next round. And it goes next round. Like, it's just, it's a better system. Well, and el it eliminates the whole, like, yeah. yeah. And it just eliminates the whole, like, spoiler bullshit yeah, thing. Like, like, it, it eliminates everybody's it. Everybody's thrown into the same mix. Exactly. So I don't know. I like it. It, it doesn't guarantee us a win all the time, but but I think it'll help. So I, I am for ranked choice voting. I, I, I do want to see us have ranked choice voting. Observer, what's up? Happy holidays. Happy New Year's. Reeve Ferguson's investment theory of party competition. Precise number of parties don't matter. You can have 17 parties and get the same results because, because of economics. Of economic. yeah. yeah, but why is it in every country that has more parties, their extremes are nowhere close to us? Yeah, the, the, the extremes are less. I, I'm gonna. They're, have to they're way less. Like, like they're way less. There's and a reason I think you have that's universal health care in most of these other countries, and we don't have it here. That is economic power. That is at the crux of that. But I think how you could address that economic power is through a, a more broad form democracy. And looking at yeah. the global south is great examples because some of the parties that rose up in the global south that rose up um, through the workers and through the working poor. Um, that have gotten traction, such as Maduro and others, did so by outreach to those, by 
hyper-focusing on outreach to those communities and bringing workers in. And, you know, I feel like the Global South is a really great example of looking at some of the lessons learned. There's a really great example of how we could do that here, even if we're not rich and even if we're up against this corporate machine we're up against. Um, didn't talk about that tonight. That's a whole other show. <laughs> Y'all are going to chat about that. There's a lot of lessons there. Yeah, yeah. So we got, uh, thank you for that observer. Joshua Jenkins, Jank, am I saying that right? Joshua Jenkins. How long are you going to give them, give into them until you just quit and ignore their advances? Uh, I feel like I would need more information to answer that question, Joshua. Shoot. (laughs) This is why sometimes like. It's a democratic party. I think, I think you think it's insinuating that that's what all I right. Feel. Well, I I'm not wrong. a Democrat, so I don't know what to tell you there. I'm, I'm not even a registered Democrat, so I'm MPP. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm no party. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about there's thing called NPP, which is no party preference. Yeah, that's what I am in California, because in California, you don't really need but like no. it doesn't really screw you in primaries in California well, because we have semi open primaries. So, yeah, yeah. Semi-open, which, by the way, in case anyone's curious, semi-open means technically they're open, but they can just change their minds whatever the fuck they feel like it. Because <laughs> isn't that how it works here? Like, technically, they could just be like, oh, we changed our minds. Fuck you. And you're like, okay. Like, but... um. Well, I mean, but, not to digress into a di- more technical conversation, it has to do with ballots. Like, you have to ask for a crossover ballot if you, right. one of them are Democrats. Like, if we were yeah. truly an open, and we voted for this by refer- referendum, um, and it was the political parties that took it to court and got these carve-outs. So, initially, it would have been just everybody gets a ballot, it's entirely open, that's what it is. But yeah, but there are some And, and they mix it up specifically during a presidential Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Man, let's California not. is a mess. <laughs> yeah. And the way well, they prioritize names state, on the ballot. What state isn't a mess, though? Yeah. I mean, I, what state isn't a mess, though? Every you know? state's like, a mess. I mean, I would say, and believe me, I feel California like Iowa is less of a mess. But I mean, we can. That's wait. I'm not even going to open that can of worms. Never mind. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we'll be here all night. But but I mean, like I'm yeah. Talking about caucuses, which is like a whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I actually do. I, although I don't like our system at all in general, I, I do like our being the United States. I, I do like the jungle primary a little better than the just winner takes all. Absolutely. Uh, like, I do like it a little better. So, anyway, um, anyway, so here we go. Hold on. Let me find uh, Fly Chomper Fly. You're back. What's up? Uh, I agree to go ranked choice, but just to be clear, ranked choice didn't force to talk policies in the race I know about personally. Yes, still better. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's like, uh, you yeah. know, the holy grail that it fixes everything, but but I think it's better it's than what we got right now. Direction. I think it's better than what we got now. I think it's more fair. Yeah. It's, uh, not, it's not a cure all. Lana, Tina, this is for you. Tina, yeah. please check your. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lana's got some DMs for you, and Lana hates the clock. <laughs> check your DMs. Ignore the clock. Ignore the clock. <laughs> uh, Chris, we'll give Jordan your message. Maybe he's still watching. Congrats to Jordan and Annette. Uh, glad to hear that Lily is thriving. Good luck with sleep deprivation. Enjoy. This baby. time will pass fast. That's what uh, that's what people who make people say. They say it goes really yeah. well. Zana, you know, you 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 you've done um, the people making thing. Yeah, 
it goes mine, fast. Mine's right? twelve years old, and now we sit and watch movies and and politics, and she analyzes Ben Shapiro, and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but but so did know, she... twelve years ago she was this little like she was tiny too, this little four pound uh, nine ounce like uh, that looked like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you know. Now she. <laughs> You know, I, I ignore, I mostly ignore Ben Shapiro, but I did see, yeah, so do I, I. I did, everyone was retweeting when he wrote that movie review and, and especially like in the comedy and writing world. Uh, you, so Ben Shapiro doesn't understand what a plot twist is, or he thinks that's a bad thing. Like, like it was the most ridiculous. He wrote a review about a uh, glass onion which um, I watched recently. I, I, I enjoyed it. It didn't like blow me away. I, I thought Knives Out was better, but um, okay. but he wrote this and he spoils it. So I won't like say what's in his review, but but he basically he basically acknowledges that he thinks plot twists are bad or, or he doesn't understand how it works or a mystery, I, I guess. Yeah, there's other well, there's things. That, he... There's that famous speech he made about if um, people could just sell their houses, if climate change, if climate change brings about a lot of flooding, it's yes. no big deal. People can just sell their houses. And so some guy, yes. this is on yeah. YouTube somewhere, some guy made this really hilarious video where he bursts through the wall and he says, I'm not Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of flooding, he doesn't understand some things about female anatomy, apparently. So, yeah, in interesting guy. But uh, moving she on. Like, she likes to laugh at him and, and, and all yeah, kinds of who? who are you selling these houses to, dude? Like Aquaman? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Is he Gen <laughs> X or Millennial? I think he's a Millennial. God, I, I think he's, he's a Millennial. Not, he's Millennial. Please tell me he's not Gen X. <laughs> no, I think he's Millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Fly Chomper Fly, what's up? Welcome back. Yes, media is the key, Overlord. Hey, yep, that's true. That's the truth. Ethan, what's up? Ethan, exclamation point. Love it. Yes. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> Happy New Year. Nikki, what's Happy up? Year. Happy New Year. How are you? Love y'all. Solidarity. Thank you so Thank much you, for that. Uh, Cobb fan from Down Under. Hope all's well in Australia. Hope to see you next time I'm out there. Uh, you give us your super sticker. Thank you so much for that. Tony DeMeo, I hope to see in Chicago, by the way. I should be announcing that show soon. I'm locking things in in Chicago. A thousand thank yous for your coverage of the attacks on LGBTQ it's people. Thank you for that, Tony. It's fucking control. Like, I, it, it's growing worse. I just can't. Well, isn't it interesting that uh, everybody here has been very outraged by uh, the Don't Say Gay Bill? And what do we all have in common? We read the fucking thing. Yeah. We read it. We read it. It's, a, it's like that moment in 2008 on the debate stage where they're like, that is Kucinich. You're the only person here who voted against the Patriot Act. Yeah, I read it. I'm the only person on this stage that read the fucking thing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you yeah, for that, Tony. Yeah, we thought it was a bad thing, and we were like, no, that's a good thing you voted no on that. It was a terrible piece of legislation. It it's still terrible. It's still haunting us all these it, yep. years later. Yep. It sticks out yep. to me because those kids are talking about their lives literally being in danger and being accosted at school and, like, all their kinds of things. Their lives literally are in danger. Listen, yeah. The, yeah. The, the ramped up heat against the LBGTQ community right now is very dangerous. All of this hate speech leads to violence in the real world. We know it does. We've seen it already has. That's what I was about to say. We've seen the attacks yeah. on to happen and they could get worse. I'm deeply concerned about it. 
And, and we're some old people enough. say, well, at least we know who Libs of TikTok is for real now after she came <laughs> on, you know, Tucker Carlson and Rycheck, yeah. you know, said that being gay was apparently evil and transitioning was evil. Horrifying. Horrifying. Well, and, you know, it, it's great that we know who she is, but I knew who she was. We knew who she was from the beginning. Most people did. And all that I feel like it does, honestly, I'm all for marketplace ideas. I am against censorship, but we do have to recognize as well that her going on a mainstream media outlet and saying this I yeah. stuff normalizes it. It normalizes it. It absolutely does. Listen, I, I don't care if people hate me for saying this, but I have no problem saying it. I think some hate speech absolutely should be censored. And if you hate me for saying that, go ahead and hate me for it. But hate speech leads to violence in the real world. We know this. We've seen it time and time again. So no, I don't think we should be handing out megaphones to people that are, are just screaming hateful things all over the place. We need to tamp it down. I'm not saying get rid of their First Amendment rights at all, but the idea that we should just give them equal time, equal measure, I don't agree with it. No, and there's a difference between freedom of speech um, and, yeah. and the yeah. right to say things and the right to be platformed. That's right. right. I can't walk That's into New York Times tomorrow right. and go, Democratic Party sucks. I have a whole article and you must publish it now. They're not going to publish that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, 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 I've been trying that for years and they right. still just don't. I mean, <laughs> I mean I, I've tried. Every, I, I brought cookies the one time. I'm like, maybe, you know, you attract you attract a bee with honey. Right. And, and it still didn't work. <laughs> They still were like, Ron, you got to go, man. And then I'm just like, all right, you still all get half off to my show. Um, so <laughs> Nikki, what's up? You're back. Thank you so much. Uh, Nikki O'Brien, Tina and Ron have been fantastic. Oh, thank great you. to see you back, Jordan. I have we been absolutely get... enjoying having Ron as a partner here. This has been great, by the way. You too, Tina. Um, and uh, and yeah, thank you for that. We'll give Jordan the you memo as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, fly chopper fly. I don't. I don't understand what you're trying to say here, fly chopper fly. Uh, Tina but, is amazing. I understand that part. I agree with it. So, I mean, it puts me in danger that I'm so public and open and honest about who I am and use my real name and all that. I, I, you're not wrong. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. okay, I've been, I see. I have right. some issues. Um, I'm not going to talk about it publicly, but yeah. It is a little bit, but that's fine. Um, I you I accept that going into this, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's part, well, it's part and well, you have all your incognito things, right? I mean, you have some like incognito stuff. Not really. <laughs> I have a Kevlar vest, but that's about it. I don't know. I never incognito. You can't really do journalism incognito, not properly, in my opinion. Well, I don't mean when you're like interviewing people, but I mean like some of the online sleuthing that you do. Oh yeah, I have. A, oh, I have a totally fake Nazi account. Yes, correct. But I don't. Uh, not in my real name yet. But I don't. But I don't honeypot people either. I don't use it to communicate. I just observe. All right. Because that go. would be, that would be another ethical problem. I think you can't really honeypot people from a fake account. That would be completely unethical. Sure, sure, sure. Oh yeah, no, it's it's. But some um, people have no problem you. doing it. I just think it's not ethical. Uh, we got some Rockfin tips. What's up, Roger Metters? How are you? I hope everything Roger! is well in New York. Hi, Roger. Roger, everyone is happy to see you. Uh, Roger is the ballot initiative guru. Um, and Roger he says... Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's great. I, I love that guy. Um, 
And Roger says, just got here two minutes ago. I say F it, abolish all political parties. And I, yeah, Roger, <laughs> Roger, true to form here, support citizen ballot initiatives. Amen. I'm with you, man. To force voters to educate themselves on the candidates, to eliminate lazy voting on voting for an alphabet letter next to the name, endorse RCV, no spoilers. I, I hear you, Roger. I hear your frustration. I'm with you. Um, and then Roger goes on to say, don't worry. I'm Gen X, Tina. Z oh, Zaina. <laughs> What's up? Check your email for AZ uh, for Medicare for All coalition meeting next week. Uh, Ron, those are fighting there, words, man, about Gen X. I've been doing IT longer than you. I've never been doing IT at all, man. So you got me beat. Uh, when the internet came, I was on it. Hey, I'm with you. It's not everybody. I'm just saying generally that happened a little bit. Uh, but we I are floppy disks. Huh? I remember <laughs> floppy disks. I remember. Yeah, I remember those. No, I'm I'm all I, hey, I'm a Luddite. I'm 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 including myself in the Luddite category. I'm I'm just speaking general here. Um, but we are the forgotten generation, Ron. That's why we are X. Hey, hey, Jet X made a bunch of my favorite music, uh, Roger. Don't don't, don't get me wrong here. Exactly. I still I celebrate a lot of Gen X. Um <laughs> I'm against parties and want them gone too self-interested. I hear you. We gotta make sure we good before we help you. Not if, but when they get corrupted. I, I feel you, Roger. I'm with you, man. Uh, Tina, First Amendment is meant to protect speech you don't like, which includes hate speech. If I you don't protect it, then they'll come for the speech. I agree, but um, there's a difference between censorship and giving somebody a platform and a First Amendment right, which is a pact between you and the government. I'm saying that those are two separate things and they should not be treated the same. Well, and there's also a big difference. Like people kind of forget that it's like there's that line between when you incite violence, which is not protected speech, nor should it. And be. that is the other part of it, exactly. So, so it's like, I mean, you know, and and we we don't have time to get into all like 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 take a deep dive into this right now. But like, you know, the libs of TikTok account, like they <laughs> they will publish when events are happening. Like, like they'll be like, this drag event is happening. Go attack then, these people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like that. I mean, so, that's so inciting I mean, violence. I agree. So what I mean by censorship is does libs of TikTok have a First Amendment right to say that? Yes, they absolutely do. Should they be allowed to say it? Yes, they absolutely do. Does Twitter necessarily have to reinstate the count and bump up their algorithm so that more people see it and give it a platform? No, that's not a First Amendment issue at all anymore. And I do understand why. You know, say what you want about Jack Dorsey, but Jack Dorsey was really trying to find the balance here between giving people the opportunity opportunity to say what they wanted to say, but also protecting individuals that are getting bullied, that are getting harmed in the real world from it, um, et, well, cetera, et cetera. So it I wasn't mean, so much Jack Dorsey. Just just to be clear here, it wasn't so much Jack Dorsey. It was a bunch of attorneys who he hired, and the only reason I make that distinction, the only reason I make that distinction is because. Elon Musk, free speech warrior Magoo, yeah. fired all those people. He, he did. Fired he fired all it's like it's a fucking joke. I mean, all, Elon all those Musk people is not a First Amendment rights guy. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just saying that there's a balance to be had here, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't know why it's become a mantra to just acknowledge that hate speech can be very detrimental in the real world. Like it can lead to serious violence. I don't know why that's become problematical of a sudden. I think there's this. Um, sort of need your tendency to be like free speech absolutist to the point where 
we don't question maybe the wisdom of certain things. And maybe I'm coming at this from this position because I see it on a daily basis. I see some really hateful shit that comes out of people's mouths on a daily basis. And I know where that's leading. Um, you know, if you're not exposed to that, I could see you maybe not having the same opinion that I do on this, but, but these guys still have their first amendment rights. They are still saying the hateful things that are very threatening. Um, you know, talking about their killing people, their guns, whatever, not, they're just not doing it. It's not protected. It's not protected by the first amendment. There are multiple precedents. There's the, the, oh, was it, I can't remember the names now, but the crosses being burned in the front yard. And that was one precedent. You had other, you had multiple, there's probably six or seven precedents specifically about harassment and intimidation. One of them was regarding intimidation in in front of voter stations. And that happened. This And then you go to countries like Poland, Germany, whatever else, some of the European countries that live through Nazi Germany, they don't allow you to march around with a swastika. It's against the law. They, there's a reason they created that law because they saw where that speech led to. So I'm just saying that maybe something isn't as, you know, cut and dry as what we'd like it to be. I think this is a very complex conversation with a lot of moving parts and finding the balance is important. Well, that's why different places, I mean, like, like you're, you kind of like different places have different free speech laws. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't really speak to which country has the best ones because I've only ever lived in the United States. You know, I think our free speech laws are, are pretty good. I, I mean, I think I the way I think we, we kind of designate it, I, I think it's one of the few things where our laws are actually pretty good. There's a lot of our laws that I think really suck. I think our free speech laws are actually pretty decent. Is England better? Is it, I don't know. No, I, I don't have a. They do not have protected free speech that we do. In fact, I have a journalist right. that is currently being sued in uh, courts in Britain over a, a piece he published here in the United States. So, all right, no. then you then you know more about the way their laws. You know, you know more about the way their laws work. I, I can't. You know, there's moving parts there. So, like the Brit, the problem in Britain is because what they want to classify as libel slander is like a rich person is pissed that he didn't like what you said about him. It doesn't matter if it's true or not, I guess. But so now they, but but what I'm talking about specifically is is really hardcore hate speech. Let me be really clear. I'm talking about a very small segment of speech that I think we do need to monitor and not necessarily blast from the mountaintop. Well, hateful speech, intimidation, threats of violence, death threats. I mean, I've gotten all of that, you know, a lot. Um, But that that type of language is used a lot of times to oppress speech. That's one thing that people don't. Oh, talk I about. agree. Yes, Rude they want to oppress everybody else's speech. You're correct. You're correct. But I mean, listen. How they oppress the activists, the women's rights activists, the black activists. You know, look at Mac- the McCarthy era. Look at what yeah. they did to anyone who wanted to talk about socialism or communism. Right. I mean, the McCarthy yeah. era is a great example of this. So intimidation is a tactic that is used. 100%. And it under the free speech umbrella they say we have a right to say these hateful things and to scare you because so that, you that umbrella is to silence you it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's a bubble it's not an umbrella and then people it's are bubble. Right to see it's and, a bubble and listen i've i've spoken to these nazis as me my personal obviously who i am not my fake account i've had the conversations with these guys i've had to reach out to them for comment i've interviewed several of them um so yeah, I mean, they've got free speech. I'm not I'm not suggesting we remove their first amendment at all. I would 
I prefer, and you might think this sounds crazy too, I would prefer to engage them on one-on-one -on -one conversations where you can have, you know, talk that shit out with them. But I don't, again, I don't think that's the same thing of creating a platform where they're allowed to promote very, um, very detrimental ideology that harms people. Those are different things. That's all I'm saying. And I, you know, and then you also have that other part that I don't even want to get into right now, which is brand safety. Like, does does an advertiser have a right to say I'm going to pull my ads from your site because I don't want to have my brand associated with, you know, a black sun or a swastika or a you know a noose or whatever? They have mm -hmm. a right to say that because they also have free speech. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So uh, happy new year, everybody. It is 2023. How long we've been streaming for. Uh, we still got a few more, uh, which by the way, seriously though, everybody, thank you so much for your generosity and for tuning in today. We appreciate it so much. Roger Meadows. What's up, buddy, Ron. Not only do I go by the CBI citizen ballast initiative moniker, but never forget, I also go by the public banking and worker cooperative moniker as well. I feel you, Roger. Roger I is the banking. ballot initiative uh, moniker. He is the public banking guy, the worker co-op guy. And Roger, yeah. guest. Roger, come public, on the show. And eliminate all parties guy. Afford. That's also Roger. <laughs> That's also, yeah. Roger. down with the eliminate all parties. I think we should just be voting for individuals. What do we need political parties for? They're only serving the rich. I feel you. I'm with you. I mean, Roger checking all the killer boxes and Despos Fleisch. What's up? What's up? Much, much love for the status coup crew. Thank you so much. I might even overlook the fact that Ron is a tomato planophobic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try again, and I will successfully grow something. I, I, I did manage to kill all the tomato plants brutally. I, I just failed miserably. Ron, but, I killed uh, too when I tried to grow them. I don't know why. I, I thought tomato alone. plants would be easy to grow. And then, so the they first- They are, they are. We're just not good at this. Okay, so the first year they all died. So I tried it the second year and I got these giant bushy plants, but no tomatoes. Huh. Maybe third time's gonna be the charm. I don't know. I'm I'm over two because I tried two plants and I fucked them both up. So and and I my zucchinis did. You know, I got a couple flowers and that's it. No zucchinis. So yeah, I'm gonna try again, guys. Uh, we'll go ahead and give some thank yous if you don't mind, real quick. I want to tell you guys where I'll be January seventh. I will be in San Diego, California. That's a free show, so come out, San Diego. January 28th, Tucson, Arizona. Use the promo code Lucy at checkout for discounted tickets, and that's for a limited time only. So don't wait, Tucson. And that's not just a stand-up show. That's a screening of my short film, Loner. And February 10th, April 14th, and May 12th, I'll be in Los Angeles, California, working on my 2023 hour at the Glendale Room. And I'll be announcing more tour dates soon. American Midwest, UK, I'm coming. Uh, and let me go ahead and let's thank everybody. JX, thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Fly Chopper Fly, JX, Observer, Joshua, Fly Chopper Fly, Lana, Chris Garrett, Fly Chopper Fly, Ethan, Nikki, Cobb Fan, Tony DeMeo, Nikki, Fly Chopper Fly, and Despush Flies, and Roger over on the Rock Fin. Uh, thank you guys so much. This was a lot yeah. of fun. It was awesome. It was uh, yeah. Zaina, good to good to hang with you. Yeah, uh, Zaina, we gotta have you on more. And then we are still. And then uh, that that other just, that other new guy who popped in, I forget his name, but he <laughs> he seemed like an okay dude. I guess he's in uh, New York or something. But uh, but we'll see if we see more of that guy. Yeah, and we are definitely gonna be getting a phone situation so we can take uh, call-ins without using the call-in app, since that doesn't seem to be 
always functioning. So, and I'm looking forward and to And calling on the ones and twos. Call in the like person. To talk to people. I love talking to people. And yeah, Colin, Colin, where are you? Colin, Colin show your face. I, I He quit like an hour ago. <laughs> he quit. Oh, there he is. He's oh, there he is. <laughs> Thank you guys. Colin is the goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, fly chomper fly. What's up? Pew res a different look at generations plus partisanship. Um, I don't know what that. What's pew res? Does anyone know what that How's is? How's it spelled? P e w. Here, hold on. Let me, this let is why we need a phone call line. <laughs> uh, P -E oh, pew, pew, yeah. um, pew studies. Pew, pew research. Oh, pew research. Oh, pew research. Pew research. Oh, oh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> right. We, we've been streaming for over two and a half hours. I, I think I might have caught that if, if it was earlier in the stream, but that, that went a little <laughs> over my head right now. I'm just like, pew res? What is that? Is that a band? <laughs> <laughs> that's a Gen X band, man. Come on now. That's a, that's a Gen X band. They were, they used, Nirvana used to open for them. No, no, no. It was made up of ex Nirvana guys and ex Alan, Alice in Chains guys. How do you not know this band? I know. I should. I should. Actually, you know, a buddy of mine, he uh, his he was in Coff a band called Coffin Break. They were part of like the Seattle scene. Uh, and there's this famous photo of Kurt Cobain in his band's sweatshirt. Oh, it's like, cool. oh my god, that, that's Kirk of A wear your bad shirt. That's so that's super that's cool. So badass. That that's is so bad. badass. I'm blown up over my fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> be like the iconic <laughs> like no you, my kids pictures aren't going up it's Kurt <laughs> in my band t-shirt right <laughs> be so badass exactly. guys thank you all so much thanks for being yes, here thank you. this has been status coup and we'll be back on tuesday i believe well no steve will be here tomorrow and then the regular will be, yeah. be back on tuesday peace peace